Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Trees and non-binaries to another exciting episode of the Hostile Takeover right here on the Fantastic Universes podcast. It's been a while with the Geek Podcast on a hiatus and ourselves on an unannounced hiatus. We are finally back to talk PC console, tabletop gaming and all things in between. Myself, Adam Ray, the user tinkerer and a very special guest. For those of you joining us through our Patreon support, we want to thank you for your continued love and admiration. It does really mean everything to us here at Fantastic Universes. Patreon backers do get access to all of our written content many days in advance, as well as extended, unedited episodes of all of the podcasts we release. We will be back at it with further Geek Podcasts coming at you in the new year, as well as a more regular segment right here on Fantastic Universes, especially with a return of the way we rewatch the Supernatural review show with myself and the dear Faye Clark. But on to our main event, the return of the Hostile Takeover, talking Dungeons & Dragons, the on and off segment that we have here, talking about the game that got me as a content creator, and a game that got my dear friend here, S.E. Vera and Spencer Productions, as a content creator, and we are back to talk about it. How are you, friend? Hello, Adam. I am well. How are you? I'm glad to be back after that hiatus. Glad to be back indeed. We had to sort out uh, tech setups. Your your office is looking fine and shiny on your end across the pond. And some Thank you. Brand new table. Very nice indeed, as well as some uh, life uh, admin, shall we say, on my end. But we are back yes. at it and ready to re-roll some dice and look at how things are organized in the world of Dungeons and Dragons and TTRPG goodness, because uh, yes. I think I pitched this episode to you as the roast of the alignment system. Mm -hmm. Yes, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest; it probably will end up being the roast of the alignment system. But I want to play devil's avocado, as it were, and uh, devil's avocado. That, I like that. Yeah, that's what I like to say. It's a very niche uh, Netflix Daredevil reference, but it's just so funny that I want to just like, throw <laughs> it out there. But well, so, I said table when I really meant desk. Well, I mean, I don't like, know why I said table. All all desks are tables, but not all tables are desks. Oh, I like that. It's I like that. It, yeah, I'm glad you do. That's technically true as well. <laughs> but um, the best kind of correct, technically correct. Yes, it's true. Like my other favorite kind of that is, uh, it's a little wrong to call a tomato a fruit. It's very wrong to call a tomato a suspension bridge. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, I do want to play devil's avocado in regards to the alignment system, even though, to my knowledge, Dungeons & Dragons is the only TTRPG that uses it, and some of uh, some adjacent and similar systems that are still sort of, like, co-opting and borrowing some mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons. But, uh, of course, everyone who regularly listens to our show knows my experience is uh, only seven years within Dungeons & Dragons, both 4th and 5th edition, whereas yours mm -hmm. is much longer, as well as with GURPS. So... Yes. Let us begin the roast That was the whole system. chunk in the middle was GURPS, but does Pathfinder have an alignment system? I, I thought for sure they, they did, but I could I, be wrong. I think they had something similar, because I know that Fantasy Age doesn't. I know that 13th Age was the one I was thinking of. That one's very similar to 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and that one does, but it's very loose. I'm just aware that with actual mechanical bounds, it is Dungeons & Dragons, because like you'll get uh, mm. magic items that say must be aligned by good alignment or detect evil and good can detect certain kinds of creatures so i just yeah, wanted not to a fan <laughs> oh no don't worry neither am i and i have some wonderful things that makes me want to circle back as to why it doesn't make sense but mm -hmm. then again they still have it but all the evidence i can see coming out of wizards at present is that they're going to try and eventually scrap it with 5.5 in th three years time but 
which oh which good old five point yeah five five point five talk four, i love it four point five yeah we'll we'll get back to <laughs> five point five closer to the time because we'll probably want to talk about the releases totally. and such as they happen but as for right now the roast Let the roast begin the roast of alignment the alignment system so you are tenured in the world of uh dungeons and dragons way back when when it first started where i know that uh, elf was a class so was the alignment system <laughs> always a thing well, slightly tenured, because I did miss all of 3rd edition, all of 4th edition, and haven't actually played Pathfinder, but have played the most of the video games associated with Pathfinder, which is a really great system, by the way, sidebar. I definitely recommend checking that out. It's a full immersion into Pathfinder without, without actually having to get six people around the table to play the super advanced game that is Pathfinder. But as far as second edition was concerned, in the way back when, I I remember I remember off the top of my head more basic alignments, but I was also eleven years old. So I think it was just like good evil and a couple of shades in between then as I knock this thing off the table. A couple of I, I don't think it was that detailed. I think it was only maybe three out of the total alignments that we yeah, have. Probably just maybe like good, good, neutral, evil. 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 Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah, good, neutral and evil. Um I mean, I could just be—I could just be completely talking out of my butt. Uh, that could be completely wrong, but that's how I remember it. I would have to go and do the googly Google to see if we can figure out if that's correct or not. But that's how I remember it. I remember it being, at the very least, much more simplified and streamlined in the way back when. And GURPS, i don't remember using alignment at all. I think maybe it was mentioned a couple of times, but I think we just kind of with GURPS, it's as intended, generic, universal role-playing system. So you can just kind of die right in and say, I want my character to kind of be, you know, maybe a little bit evil with a redemption arc or, you know, starting off with some, you know, sinister background, but eventually has a character arc. And you just kind of spitball what you want with the DM. That's what we all did when we played GURPS. And I don't ever remember having alignment being a big deal at all. And then all of a sudden, in fifth edition, I keep hearing about alignment. And what's funny is that my exposure to 5e alignment came in college when I started seeing all of the circa 2013, 2014-ish, <laughs> all of the memes, memes it, and yeah. yeah about yeah about the alignment system and about how they were explaining the 5e alignment system using characters from movies. And I even, without even having played 5th edition or having, I think, the, the basic PDF... No, no, I didn't even have the PDF because that was before I did the little... College thing where I had all the things. I had uh, all of the books and Tyranny of Dragons pirated on the little flash drive that we talked about before. Yep. Um, at our uh, nerdy college D and D club. But in between all of that, um, I remember all those memes coming out because it was my first and second year in in college, and I actually did a presentation on that for English 101 without having played Fifth Edition. I was like, I'm going to grab the memes and say, hey, look at this. I'm going to take all these characters and pop culture and film and literature and put them into uh, this alignment system meme. And I think I got an A on the project. So that worked out. But then when we got deeper and deeper into fifth edition, I got more and more uncomfortable with it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of uh, rigid. You know, to quote old Greg, uh, it's uh, y'all rigid, like a breadstick. We will talk about why it feels so rigid and so weird, probably as we go deeper down the rabbit hole of it. But as for my own uh, history with Dungeons and Dragons and the alignment system, I started in what we Brits would call college, which would uh, which we we had a whole tirade on how weird we the education system is. 
But yes. when I first started the Dungeons & Dragons road that has defined me as a person, it was in 4th edition, and I know how terrible it is as a system. It's basically an MMO, but on tabletop, which I, which is sort of how they marketed it, and they didn't, and uh, Wizards felt the need to completely retcon the changes they made to the cosmology out of huh. existence. Fourth is weird. Fourth is very Interesting. strange. Yeah, but, so you said it was like an MMO, which would make sense, because that was circa World of Warcraft first coming out. Yeah, up. it was like uh, roughly off the top of my head, 2010 earliest was when it was at its peak, because... Mm. With each class, you had like your powers and certain tiers of powers that you like put into your power, into your into your character sheet from blocks in the three different players' handbooks, and you each character had like their own sort of power source, like whether they were a divine caster, whether they were a primal like a barbarian or uh, like nature magic or what have you. There was always different sort of energy sources that each character came from, and then like epic classes, paragon classes. It was it felt hmm. very MMO, but. A lot of players didn't really graft with it, but I hold it with a lot of nostalgia, even though I recognize it was not a great system. That's why 5th edition was such a breath of fresh air. I, I remember seeing the 4th the edition books at Barnes & Noble and yeah. going, the, the art the art both on the cover and inside always looked so epic and so amazing. Yeah, that was, that was down I, to a lot of great Wayne Reynolds art, yeah. so I can't fault it for that <laughs> look either. They had the look of 4th edition so consistent, and one of my favorite things mm -hmm. about 4th edition is that the first player's handbook has this like half-elf mage lady swirling a fireball next to a red-scale dragonborn fighter. And then the mm -hmm. cover for the Dungeon Master's Guide was a big red dragon circling around a crystal ball, and in the crystal ball was a red-scale dragonborn fighter and a half-elf mage lady looking in on the characters in the front cover of the player's handbook. So the front cover of the player's handbook was what the Dungeon Master Dragon was looking at in, in this weird sort of meta-stable oh, piece of artwork. It's one of my favorite little Easter eggs in all of Dungeons and & Dragons, that's, and that's another thing that I hold sort of positively about fourth edition even though it was a very clunky not intuitive system but yeah i think most of the memes revolve around combat taking five sessions for yes. like a fight with three goblins exactly <laughs> that's because um all right cleric it's your turn what do you want to do all right i want to cast prayer of the sacred fire which one's that one is it this one? No, that's prayer of prayer of holy fire. No, I want to do the ancient <laughs> warden's prayer. No, because you look at all because you look at the actual like sections of the classes, you can't mm -hmm. have your powers written down in like shorthand on your play on your character sheet like you do a fish edition. It's just like you have name of power, whether it's an encounter power, an at will power, or a daily power, and you have a page reference. And then you have to leaf through those 300 plus pages to find that exact thing. And you're just like, all right, so you roll this against this monster's stat, and it does this amount of damage with these modifiers. The fights did take forever. It was great for the kinds of players who loved a number crunch. I know that people, I know that uh, some of my friends who still play a lot of um, Warhammer still play fourth because there's a lot of number crunching, and they they're those kinds of gamers. But uh, it's a very boss, specific yeah. style of play. But the majority of gamers just don't graft with that system at all. But one thing I will say was quite interesting about it, sort of coming back to topic, was that in 4th edition, the alignment system was still the same sort of grid, but they cut off like two corners of the grid. All creatures in 4th edition were either lawful good, good, neutral, evil, or chaotic evil. So it's even more like distilled and 
diluted mm. compared to what we know and are going to roast now, which I right which is just even more bizarre and like viewers we're talking about this over face chat and i see her just immense confusion and disgust just like rippling across my screen right now it's amazing but yeah just palpable Mm, truly because it's just it's a sure enough it is still just a dialed down version but i think the thing that a lot of people have a trouble with about alignment is that it's just not realistic absolutely i have strong feelings on alignment and that's number one yeah the the feeling that you can pigeonhole something into like the good versus bad morality sort of axis it doesn't just doesn't work and it's not been a thing since like western philosophy philosophy and like your Nietzsche's and stuff yeah well by default by default it's sort of not only downplays but sort of assumes that characters whether they're npcs villains or pcs just assumes that they will not have any character arcs which is absolutely ridiculous the character arc is something that goes back to, you know, pre-ancient Greece. Yeah, the first stories were of a hero going out to fight the monster to do the thing. Well, you think you built the Beowulf and your Gilgameshes, those stories like that. Those heroes did go through grey areas of, like, going insane from a whim of the gods and then slaughtering a bunch of people and then eventually rising up out of it. The... I suppose the only way you could sort of rationalize it would be they come from like one side of good to another side of good. But then again, what is goodness and what is evil in that in that regard? Well, as as a, a history major, someone has a, has a bachelor's in in history, and I know that you know it's probably going to be people like, oh yeah, I have my master's. But um, as someone just speaking from the bachelor level, I can say that my area of focus and study was Asian studies and. Um, English studies. Yes, and listeners, you'll remember so, last episode, we had a very in-depth and wonderful conversation about Japanese history. Do go check out our yes, part two of the Players yes. Handbook conversation, uh, but that would only be for your Patreon listeners, so do catch a great history lesson. But in any case, you were talking about history? Uh, yeah, so, well, uh, not English history, British history in general, just the history of, of the UK and Great Britain. And one of the most important things that I took away from in my senior colloquium was on uh, England specifically and on red phone boxes, but taking that cultural snapshot is a phrase that we take and talk about a lot in history, because whether we were talking about Sengoku Jidai in Japan, or whether we were talking about red phone boxes in England as a cultural phenomenon, and then throughout the UK, because I know they pop up everywhere in the UK, but there's this new push in history to focus on cultural elements of the common people rather than the great actors of the stage, right? Focusing on with Sengoku Jidai, the suffering of the common people. And in, in Great Britain, the what was happening culturally at that time to make red phone boxes so significant of a cultural snapshot. And if we apply that same thinking to Dungeons and Dragons as a cultural phenomenon, because it is it is most definitely a cultural phenomenon that should be discussed in history books in the future because it's huge and is one of the most all-encompassing fantasy tool sets that we have ever had, I think, in recent history. But taking that into consideration and taking a cultural snapshot of the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s and beyond into the early you know, 2016, 2017, when we started to question the alignment system, that decade 
I feel like there was a lot of almost a cultural phenomenon, a cultural need to categorize things in neat little boxes. We were coming out of the 90s in, in an era that was very cut and dry. And then it turns out all of it was a lie. Like everything that we learned, and seriously, no, it's true. everything that we learned about the government, everything that we knew about science, everything that we, you know, as far as what we were taught in Catholic school, um, everything that we knew about the history of, of America, the first Thanksgiving, Christopher Columbus, uh, the first colonies in Plymouth and Massachusetts. It was all a lie, right? And that started coming out in academia right around that time. And the mid 2000s, right after I graduated high school is when people really started talking in depth in academia about, hey, most of what we know is a lie propagated by the American machine. And with us being more aware of capitalism and just exploitation of people and the American dream falling apart. American Beauty, still one of my favorite movies to this day. There was a need at that time, I feel, moving into a new age to categorize things into neat little boxes because that is a stress response. And it seemed right for making that transition from fourth edition to fifth edition to even further double down on, no, this is like, I, I can see subconsciously all of us being like, no, everything needs to be in a nice little box. And then as time went on and we got more accustomed to just acknowledging that most of what the government has taught us uh, in, in the history books is a lie. You know, the entirety of the West is built on slavery, abuse, and uh, the murder of indigenous people and people of color right is like the main recurring theme and the the suppression of of lgbtqia anything and coming in to terms with all of this knowledge about you know everything that's a hot topic outside of DD, even you know sometimes integrated into DD as themes for giving us a chance to explore that as an outlet um and 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 good dms i think again at that point having that snapshot of the nice little the nice little categorized boxes and having the phenomenon of the memes literally popping up everywhere on the internet with those alignment boxes you couldn't you couldn't click on a page without seeing that alignment box and people were doing it with with history people were doing it with pop culture people were doing it with literature people were doing it with things that had nothing to do with D&D at all uh you know and people were just oh there's this alignment system box you know and uh, you know, people were making jokes, doing it with their family members. You know, it, it was a phenomenon. It was a thing. It was a cultural snapshot of the time. And I think that decade, that decade and a half, now that we have moved beyond that, and we have had a chance to grow and and adapt and learn as a society and come to terms with this sort of thing, I think the new cultural snapshot is admitting to ourselves you know, that not everything is cut and dry. And that's why you see another resurgence of antiheroes, which is a big thing talked about in history as cultural snapshots. Look at when there is a rise in antiheroes and it's almost guaranteed to correspond to whatever is happening in that time frame historically from wherever the antiheroes were birthed. And that is, I think, an excellent snapshot of the 2020s and the late 2010s with saying, Nothing is 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 really true. That everything is subjective. Everyone's going to have a different perspective on history. 
there really is no true good and evil because everyone has their own frame of mind for what is good and evil. And that cultural snapshot, I think, is probably what's also influencing them changing the alignment system in 5.5. So that's my big academic treatise on the alignment system as far as cultural snapshots are concerned. And I honestly think you've summed up the whole issue pretty well. Thank you for listening, Adrian. I'm kidding. We had a lot <laughs> to unpack there. That was that was quite deep and um, very insightful. It's almost as though you thought about this topic a bit one time. <laughs> but in any case, I just had a lot to sort of like add and sort of like question about some of your thinking because like I agree completely, but I hadn't heard it like rationalized so well before. It's so oh, interesting. You. To, you know, it's true because it's so interesting to think that coming out of the 90s, there was a lot of fear about the turn of the new millennium. People were going into a lot of uncertainty about what the future was going to look like now that there's a different number as the prefix of the year into yep. the Y2K yep. panic, into nothing happening, into um, a lot of uncertainty. Of, All right, cool. So what do we do now culturally? Then we got that whole feeling of, okay, our, our governmental leaders right now can't be trusted into like the Iraq wars and such. I know that being an English person, there is a lot of love loss around Tony Blair as a prime minister, who I'm certain with your mm -hmm. British knowledge would know about, into mm -hmm. uh, like your yeah, Snowdens and your Assanges and a lot of just like governmental secrets being looked back. And then you look back at history to see that um, like Columbus was a genocidal nutcase Mount Rushmore yep. was Mount Rushmore was built on stolen land by a nutcase. Um, and just further atrocities in the history and the prevailing belief that today there is still no ethical consumption under capitalism. There is no clear cut and dry as to what good and evil is. So with something mm -hmm. as comforting as Dungeons and Dragons, with something as comforting as wish fulfillment and narrative collaboration, it's comforting to want to put like bright shiny angels into the lawful good box and foul crick necked dripping ooze demons into the chaotic evil box but as us as players we look at the boxes and we just don't think that they make a lot of sense anymore and that's how that feeling of nostalgia to want to categorize things is just comforting but it doesn't register sincerely anymore is the prevailing theory that i think we both agree on First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I definitely do not fuck 
death. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on Fantastic Universes. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. argument that is brought up a lot in in favor of dismantling the alignment system is a very common narrative and it's had criticism and people who have agreed with it uh, but the narrative 
is, I'm sure you're aware, is of the orcs. Is people taking orcs as an, as an example and saying for years, you know, even dating back to Tolkien, and then you get deeper into British history and, you know, British history as from a colonial mindset. And although Tolkien was a genius and the work was incredible, there is that there is that element that is a spillover from British colonialism yeah. that still carries over into modern fantasy about how all orcs and take that how you will, as far as the depiction of orcs and fantasy are brutal savages. And that is very British colonial in its thinking, uh, considering it came from Tolkien who was English. Yeah. I think it, I think it makes sense from a historical lens, not saying that Tolkien was an awful person by any means. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tolkien's works. I watched the documentary film. It was incredible. I have the Silmarillion behind me, all the films, all the books, the old school books. But I think, subconsciously again that cultural snapshot today we when, we when we look at orcs through a lens to say that there's this entire race of individuals who are brutish and have large exaggerated features with the tusks uh and a bit of an underbite and say that they all look like that and they're all evil that's a big yikes friend yeah, and is. that that goes back to Tolkien. That goes back to Tolkien. So to, there's yeah. a little, you yeah, know, back to Tolkien specifically because yeah. uh, in the history of um, his development of the world, uh, the term orc was just a generic monster. He like the actual orcs that we know now in modern fantasy. He somewhat mm. created them into what the, what they are now. Um, so when you put it in that context, also given a lot of Tol- not to disparage Tolkien, I'm a, I I love him and he created the the fantasy genre, even though he, to quote another great philosopher that I deeply, deeply love, uh, Brian David Gilbert, he still also somewhat did the world a service by making fantasy writers believe that the fantasy world they create have to be like heavily manicured and detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. The level of like rich depth of lore and history isn't essential, but it feels essential because of the tropes that he set down. When you look at orcs in context, especially with a lot of his fundamental religious beliefs, uh, especially comparing them to some of the, and contrasting them to some of the other mortal races within Middle Earth, it is problematic in the actual correct use of the term problematic, but we're yeah. willing to forgive it because the genre has evolved since then. We've seen narratives that have sympathetic orcs like the deeply okay Warcraft movie and the deeply strange... <laughs> like. Like I know you hate Warcraft, and we're not going to go there. But the movie deeply was deeply okay. Is it was great. Deep, deep. It was deeply okay, and then the deeply eyebrow raising, but still not terrible. Uh, bright the Will Smith orc cop movie. Mm. Yeah, that 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 was strange. But it's also just trying. <laughs> yes. But it's still trying to like give some sympathy to things that have been since sort of marginalized, whether intentionally or not. And it's important to get that rigid, good, bad dichotomy dialogue out of our heads, which is what Mm -hmm. the trend towards uh, alignmentless systems is like. Well, cheers to all your faves being problematic. Yay. (laughs) Shout out out to Anita Sarkeesian for that one. But I mean, it's true. Uh, You know, most of our, most of what we grew up with is rooted in, and things that are overdue for a fresh coat of paint. And I think that's what uh, deep lovers and appreciators of the game are trying to do, and what the 
developers behind Dungeons and Dragons are hopefully, I think, trying to do with first future versions of the game. But in any case, we were talking about the meme versions of the alignment system. I think my yes. favorite one is uh, how one stores their bread. Like I've seen an alignment okay. chart yep. <laughs> of someone who stores of how people store their bread with lawful good being like the put back loaf of bread put back in the bag tied up neatly mm -hmm. put into the bread box and chaotic evil was just like oh, I just put it anywhere. There's uh, there's one with toilet paper too. How can you do more Which than is... just over or under? I'll, I'll have I'll have to send it to you. One is like uh, it's like the toilet paper is wet i think for chaotic evil yeah is that someone soaks it under like in water and puts the soggy roll on top of the <laughs> like in at, like a sideways angle on top of the cardboard after taking it out of the cardboard <laughs> it's, yeah oh that's so stupid i love it um but even with the memes and even with the fact that like we as a community are growing away from it it's still so familiar because it's so easy to just understand which is why I think it's so natural for us to sort of come back to it. But the more we unpack it, the more we realize there's a lot of fundamental problems with it. But still, it's easy to sort of graft and follow along, I would say. I think it just goes back to the the, the snapshot because, I mean, early to mid-internet, as far as the growth of it, it kind of just worked out perfectly with, I guess, the meme, the meme volution the meme of the volition. time. <laughs> Yeah, the meme pollution, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I definitely remember being there at the forefront for a lot of meme culture starting up. Um, hey, the internet was a strange, strange time between 2004 and 2016. Oh, you mean like when we grew up? So... <laughs> well, I graduated high school in 2004, so that was so that was a weird time for me because at that point. In high school, the internet for us was Diablo 2 and StarCraft, the original. Oh, hell yeah. Great games. I think it was mostly, yes. I think it was mostly uh, Quake 3 Arena for me, but still. The formation of the early internet laid a lot of very clear and obvious memes to us, including what we can expect from Dungeons & Dragons alignments, but with our cultural enlightenment. Because that's, that's almost what I would call it that awareness of yeah, social that. in social social issues pre presentation representation the awareness of how dodgy capitalism is the marginalization of minorities both racially and within lgbt like that became more and more prevalent into now in the 2000s so the it was i would call class that almost as a second enlightenment like comparing it to like the yeah. original enlightenment way back when for people shying away from the church and favoring actual science. So, I, I mean, it's also, this This is part of a larger conversation where it's important to, like, I, I really wanted to do my best to make sure that I made my homebrew world racially and ethnically diverse, just mostly for humans, because that's important, because representation in games is extremely important, and it, it really it's true to how the real world is. The real world is diverse because we saw so many iterations of D and D specifically. And this is something that Daniel Kwan talks about a lot. And if you are not aware who, if you don't know who Daniel Kwan is, please go look him up. He is the, one of the lead authors on Candlekeep mysteries and did a lot of podcasts with D and D beyond about that and about Candlekeep and about, um, 
racial diversity in D&D. And of course, you can't have that conversation without, without talking about Karatur and um, Zakara, I believe. I think but so, yeah. The, the realms to the east, they were how they were presented in the past is through uh, a comic book, extremely racist lens. Uh, and the stereotypes that we know from you know the past 30 years of D&D are in dire need of an overhaul um and you know it's just you have this amalgamation of 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 culture but in a way that at the time was very dishonest isn't the right word but it was playing into stereotypes yeah and that is something that again needs to change and again, this is all part of a, a broader conversation. So when I was making my homebrew world, I thought it was very important to reach out to my my black friends and say, help me, <laughs> right? To um, all of the people of color that I knew uh, from just a diverse plethora of individuals. And I went into the Black Game Hers channel in the Game Hers, and I was like, I'm making this world. I'm just a dumb white woman. Like, I know it's exhausting, to come in here and, and say, I would like some thoughts on how to create and craft a more diverse and inclusive world. But for those who, who are willing to, to take the time to help me make this world a better place, not that it's their responsibility, because it's absolutely not. Um, there were enough people who were nice enough to, to indulge me and really help me understand a lot of different things. And I think I've mentioned this before, but some things that I that I took away from that conversation, which is an ongoing conversation, and it should be for everyone, uh, is that it's important in a fantasy world to highlight the struggles of people of color and to bring that to the forefront and to have characters that have struggled through adversity to get where they are. Because if you have a setting, let's take Valtheria, for example, which is in our homebrew world, the Western continent, which is mostly, you would consider this more Tolkien, you know, European descent type of um, of world. Now, why is everybody in that in that continent mostly look like someone of European descent. Well, that's because, and this is a conversation that was had in that channel, was because of melanin. Because if you have a location that has four seasons, lots of trees, deciduous coniferous forests, and lots of snow, and long winters, harsh winters, you're going to have individuals with uh, the amount of melanin that presents as what we know as, as European, a Western or Central European. And in that situation, if you have Black characters, um, it's important to highlight that more than likely as a minority in that situation that they would have worked really damn hard and overcome a certain level of adversity, just like people in the United States, for example, to get to where they are and to highlight that that is an important milestone for them. It's also important to have a geographically diverse world. Take the eastern continent of Karnas, for example, where there are lots of deserts. There are uh, subtropical and tropical climates. Jungles, marshlands, uh, vast deserts with sand dunes, and in that situation, you're going to have you're going to have people with a lot more melanin based on the geographical location. So you can have individuals who are represented by Mina folks, and you have individuals 
that could be represented by black characters. And it's important to have that continent. You have mostly in individuals that would be representative of Mina or black characters. And that's really important too. And then how you would have people from Viltheria would be a lot less common here in the in Karnos because you have that body of water separating them. And there's going to be obvious tensions between the two of them based on obviously humanity has a has a natural instinct to other to other individuals. And it's unfortunate we have a natural instinct to work together, but we also have a natural instinct to to not a natural instinct, but kind of like a developed instinct to to be cautious of others, which is something that we're working to overcome as a species. But there's a lot of these things that is important to take into account when creating a racially diverse world. And in that, that being said, the alignment system really just has got to go. It's got to go. And with the percent perceived end of alignments dominating the way we think about characters, the the system that would evolve around it or evolve into, because aside from it just very clearly cajoling and just prescribing things about characters that they have no business about being. The joys of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is that with characters, player characters, and with non-player characters, if the dungeon master is willing to put in the extra time, the replacement for it builds a lot more story and a lot more realism, and that's the current personality background system that has been put into 5th edition, which is one of the best things about it. Their whole deal of ideals, bonds, and flaws, and personality traits creates sympathetic and real characters and that is something that people would role play with instead of the alignment system if you need that as a crutch to create role playing and it's something that a lot of other systems need to double down on instead of outdated and unfair systems like alignment well you know what that that puts a neat little bow on it because at the end of the day what's important is that your players have a good time and i have my players have expressed to me that with setting that precedent, with setting examples like Bahamut and Vecna, it's a lot easier for them to naturally develop their characters and their story and grow attached to their characters because they're not restrained by this awful, outdated system. And when when they ask me questions, I just always wave my hand and say, nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You play your character how you want to play your character. We've already set this precedent. And at the end of the day, the players more than anybody appreciate the heck out of that because it allows them to just truly immerse themselves how they see fit for every situation. And that's kind of forward thinking creates more realistic and more satisfying stories whilst taking Dungeons and Dragons forwards out of oppressive and unfair and outdated systems, which is exactly what Absolutely. we want for the future for our favorite game. You're right, that mm -hmm. does put a wonderful bow on this grand present of a journey, perfectly timed here in the festive season. And we can expect to see the evolution of our favorite game going forward in a much more open and freeform way without the shackles of anything unfair or biased or unreasonable. But yes, this was us roasting the alignment system it has no place in our game anymore i'm certain that i'll do away with it in future i was already i was already perfectly clear to dismiss it but i'm glad to have had such well-defined and well-rounded reasons discussed right here on the hostile takeover podcast 
and I couldn't have done it without the the wise and well-versed words of our dear friend Essie. So where can our dear listeners find you and your work, Miss? All of our VODs are available on the YouTubes if you search Aaron Spencer Productions. And that's Aaron with a Y. Everything will come up under Aaron Spencer Productions, which we found out the other day when we were trying to search from a stranger's phone. So Aaron Spencer Productions is how you find us on YouTube. There is also an address, youtube.com slash C slash ESP Aaron Spencer Productions. And you can also find us on Twitch on alternating Saturdays. We just had our live stream, our actual play live stream, stream, stream in Tomb of Annihilation yesterday on the 4th. And in two weeks, we will have our next actual play live stream. So that's twitch.tv slash ESPDND. That's D as in Nitro. And you can also find us under either ESPDND or Aaron Spencer Productions on all podcast platforms, on all social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, either ESPDND or Aaron Spencer Productions, you'll be able to find us. Amazing stuff. Do check it all out. It is a great cross-section of the world TTRPG goodness. You will love it. As for little old me, I make a great breadth of content in and around the TTRPG world, but also within wider gaming, uh, DC Comics, and all of the above. I make a lot of content. For TTRPG goodness, look to the founder and forger of this show, fantasticuniverses.com, where you will find my reviews, interviews, and opinion pieces across TTRPG, PC gaming, digital card gaming, gadget gaming, and everything in between, as well as our hard-hitting comics reviews and interview pieces across DC Comics and CBR. You can find my work on the Apotheosis Studios blog, bringing new supplements for your TTRPG experience, mostly in and around 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, as well as some other GM tips. Find news about the League of Legends card game on runeterraccg.com, written by little old me, as well as my PC gaming Let's Plays for your watching pleasure on YouTube at The Hostile Atmosphere, my D&D Let's Plays are No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube, and my card gaming live streams at twitch.tv forward slash isittinkerer. Follow me on Twitter as isittinkerer for my constant ramblings of um, things going on in my life, as well as queer issues, excellent artwork, and rambling on about the same card gaming and PC gaming and tabletop gaming that encapsulates my every waking thought. But yeah, we can consider the alignment system roasted, destroyed, and forgotten about as we go into the better future of TTRPG goodness. And until such time... Fatality! Finish him. <laughs> and we did. We truly did. We will go on to finer examples of gaming in the future, but I want to say thank you again to SE of Air Inspector Productions to have this discussion with me. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening. And until next time, live free and play well. 